0: I was the golden boy of my spiritual sphere growing up. I mean, listen, it is a commonly accepted, indisputable fact. Did I do that right? Uh, I'm trying to take a cue from the president's tweets here. Anyway, that from circa 1987, when I officially asked Jesus into my heart at the age of five until I graduated high school in 2000. I was the de facto good Christian boy, slash spiritual leader, slash goody two shoes of my Sunday school classes and Awana Club and church youth group. When it came to memorizing verses or having the answers to all of that obscure Bible trivia, or you know, singing special music in front of the whole congregation, I was the go-to youth. I have literally had old ladies pinch my cheeks on more than one occasion. That's like the evangelical equivalent of the angel marking Jacob with the limp, right? It's a special dispensation. This spiritual superiority was also a major feature of my life at the Christian school I attended. Bible classes were kind of a breeze. Teachers commended me for my spiritual insight. One time, the headmaster told me that my understanding of the scripture was, quote, far beyond my years. I was even elected student body chaplain my senior year, which, yeah, was an official executive committee position of our school's Student Government Association. I think this moment was what cemented my legacy, or dare I say legend, as godliest 17-year-old in all of Appalachia. It all culminated at graduation. Class of 2000 represent... It was there I received the Citizenship Award, which was the highest non-academic award the school gave. It was essentially a gold-plated stamp of spiritual approval. This one, this guy right here, he's tip top. Just a little bit closer to Jesus than the rest of these spiritual pedestrians. Look, I know it sounds like I'm bragging, I'm not bragging, but that's only because I'm no longer proud of it. I sure as hell used to be proud of it. At the time, I would have held my Christian credentials up to anyone's. Come on, let me take the stand, attorney Jesus. I'm your star witness. I didn't talk like that in high school. It's just kind of fun to do voices. I took a lot of shit for this, too. I was the target of plenty of bullying over the years, but even this, I took as evidence that I was on the right path. We had been promised that the righteous would be persecuted, hadn't we? Side note, do you remember that episode of 30 Rock where Liz Lemon recounts how mean everyone was to her in high school because she was such a nerd? And then she attends her high school reunion and it turns out she had been the bully all along? Belittling and condescending to classmates that she didn't think were on her level. I did not go to my high school reunion and have thusly avoided a similar fate. Talking this way reminds me of the several times Paul, the early church apostle, got just a little bit smug in his letters to Christians who were figuring out their new religion. Like in 2 Corinthians 11, where he engages in this hypothetical spiritual pissing contest. Check this out. And sorry, it can't be explained why Paul has a valley girl accent in this clip. It's just the actor's choice, I guess. Let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way as the world does, I too will boast. You will gladly put up with fools, since you're so wise. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, again, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. Or how about Philippians 3, where Paul contrasts what he calls confidence in the flesh with true spirituality? We hired a different actor for this piece. Watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Side note number two, does Paul sound a little like your friend who constantly needs to make sure everyone knows they don't give a fuck what people think of them? The one whose perpetual pomp and bravado distills down into this deep insecurity once all the people are gone and the unfeeling walls of solitude close in at night, while at the same time an unspeakably deep and expansive void of squandered opportunity unfolds to their waking horror as this existential dread seeps into their consciousness, bringing with it a murky tide of regret and fears of inadequacy with the blunt force of a cosmic apathy? Just wondering if anyone else has a a friend like that. Anyway, back to me being the best Christian ever— Most, not all, but most of the reasons for my apostasy come from the bad taste the church itself has left in my mouth as I've come to see it as more of a gatekeeping agency, God's self-appointed security firm, a bouncer tasked with assessing whether an applicant is worthy of skipping the line and getting VIP access, or whether she has to do penance in this long line of regular folks, putting on their best duds and trying to amass some spiritual clout by association, or by good deeds, or self-righteousness. The point is, I never had to worry about waiting in line growing up. As the golden boy, I already had VIP access. Yeah, that was a lot to live up to, but I could manage, right? I mean... So much of it came naturally, and the parts that didn't come naturally, I learned to compartmentalize. Two lives, two selves. The golden boy and the kid who wanted to twirl around in his mom's pretty green skirt. The Bible whiz and the adolescent who had a crush on his male PE teacher. The student body chaplain and the teenager who found possibly the only other Christian closet case at his tiny school to fool around with in the dark. The thing was, if I was so good at compartmentalizing at this, the earliest stages of my planned lifelong career in Christendom, if I could earn the pinched cheeks and get elected chaplain and win the citizenship award, if I could fool the gatekeepers, who else around me was doing the exact same thing? I mean, if if I could, at such a young and naïve age, curate such a deeply divided double life, then what depths of hypocrisy were shrouded by the people who had committed 20 or 40 or 60 years to this shared faith? And furthermore, what good was a faith that can be turned on and off at whim anyway? A faith that gives you access and clout and privilege inside church walls, but also forces you to hide, ignore, deny, or change the most essential foundational parts of what make you, you. You know, I still grapple with this desire to be seen as the golden child. It's one of the many ways I'm fucked up. For a long time, it deeply skewed my moral compass. I've always wanted to do what's right, but... Early on, doing what was right meant doing what I had to do to get that citizenship award. It meant lying about who I was and condemning others for the very things that I did in the dark. It meant, even after coming out, publicly committing to a single and celibate life so that I could continue to serve in the church. If I'm being entirely honest, the temptation to be the golden boy... Persists as an undercurrent even as I make a podcast called Heathen. Somewhere in the back of my consciousness questions pop up like how can I be the kind of heathen people will look up to? What kind of accolades can I get for occupying this space of godless spirituality? It can sometimes feel maddening to balance the desire for something real connection and spiritual grounding with the desire to get credit for it. All I know to do is acknowledge it, to let you know that, hey, the struggle is real, and to make my promise to continue this quest of spiritual deconstruction and redefinition while contending with this inevitable inclination to have someone pinch my cheeks. I mean, listen, Unless that someone happens to be my boyfriend and we're talking about a different chic, I'm totally cool with not having to do that in the dark anymore. Spiritual conversations for the godless. I'm Matthew Blake. Welcome to Heathen hello heathens uh this is matthew blake welcome to another episode of heathen podcast and another awesome conversation uh with another awesome person uh this this uh my guest today his name is joshua romero Um, I didn't think I was going to get to have him on the show for a while because he lives in Oregon now, but he's here visiting San Diego. So I snagged him and said, we're doing this now. We're going to record this podcast while you're here. So welcome, Joshua. Thank you, Matthew. (laughs) Glad to have you. It's great to be here. Um, we are, uh, if you listened to the first episode of this podcast, the pilot episode, and you met Leanne, uh, we talked about a Joshua who introduced us (laughs) and we actually, Told the story um of uh how when you introduced <laughs> Leanne and me, Leanne and I were like, oh my gosh, like we're gonna be way better friends than either of us ever were yeah. with Joshua. So that's this Joshua right here. As I, As
1: I recall that story, um Leanne actually verbatim said, if I had met Matthew before you, we would be way better best friends. <laughs> um she sent sort of, I don't want to say she retracted that statement, but she did backpedal a little bit yeah. to sort of affirm me that, yes, we are still good friends. Good. I don't know that I got the closure I wanted in terms of sort of solidifying she and I are still better best friends. Um, but she what, did. She It did was that... kind of like a, a half-hearted effort to get us back on track.
0: Oh, I don't know if it was half-hearted. <laughs> I, think, I mean, she meant it. I think she's but... sincere.
1: But I still, to this day, I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'm a better best friend to her than you. have a, li- a you. little bit of insecurity a in that friendship. Bit, yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement to it say is. that about a it's close a big, friend.
0: It's a big so. deal, yeah. Does that, I, like, I
1: love her, I love you, so we're all good. It's all good. <laughs> Different levels of love.
0: I'm glad that you've, uh, you know, come around. I'm glad we're all yeah, still ov- friends. Obviously,
1: obviously, it's something I don't think <laughs> about every night before I go to sleep.
0: So <laughs> Obviously. Um, anyway, so I've known you for how long? Uh, I think we did the math in nine years. Yeah. When you moved back to San Diego in 2008. 2008. So 10 years are going on 10 oh years. My gosh. Decade friends. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is a heathen podcast. I don't know if you personally identify as a heathen. I doubt it. I would say that I identify
1: as a heathen supporter.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. A heathen ally. A heathen ally. I
0: love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, but let's uh, let's just dive right in with maybe a little bit about uh, your upbringing. Like, what was your spiritual religious upbringing like? Uh, you're from Rudoso, New, New Mexico. I'm um, from Rudoso,
1: New Mexico. If my parents hear this, my mom would say that I'm from Texas. I was born in Texas, oh. but I try not to claim that um, ancestry. Is that yeah. the right word? Um, that heritage, I should say. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was actually very fortunate, having grown up in sort of evangelical Christendom uh, to have hopped around different denominations, uh, so when we lived in Texas till I was about five years old, and there we were Southern Baptists, and then we moved to yeah, we moved to a different town in Texas, and we were Assemblies of God until did, all I of a sudden Charismatic, and whoever prays at the altar the longest gets yeah, bonus points for a Jesus. That's jump too, but from a Baptist huge to jump. Assemblies, um, and then it was all in time stuff everywhere in the AG. <laughs> so I remember um, growing up. I, now I think of it, it's like, wow, this is like emotionally, psychologically traumatic for little kids. But growing <laughs> up, anytime I heard the uh, volunteer fire station siren going off, I thought it was the rapture happening, (laughs) like completely honest. And so as soon as I'd hear um, the fire siren going off, I would be on my knees at my bed praying. (laughs) So, I mean, seven trumpets, you've got up to seven trumpets. So that first blaring of the alarm was trumpet number one. So I I I had some time. I had some time to pray. Um, How old? that That would have been... We were eight when we moved to New Mexico, oh so God. between five and eight years old. Um, and now I look back on that, it's like, that's not healthy.
0: It's a little heartbreaking. It's very heartbreaking. I mean, it's hilarious <laughs> and yeah. a little heartbreaking. I was always
1: worried about my turtle as well
0: in those times. Oh, uh, um, no. Yeah, we had dogs, and yeah, I, that was my like, biggest question always. Every Sunday school teacher. What happens
1: if I go and they stay? All Dogs Go to Heaven was very reassuring to me. Yeah, that was a little um, was a little too much for me in terms of uh, theology. Mm. I wasn't quite convinced <laughs> that all dogs do go to heaven. You
0: hadn't you know, become yeah. that inclusive yet? Yeah, in your... souls Souls are reserved for humans, oh, yeah. and so yeah. dogs kind of you know just what? don't have a shot. My mom's answer to me actually was phenomenal, I think, when I asked this. And um, uh, I, I just remember... I don't I don't remember what like what was the catalyst for the question but I remember coming home and like in tears just like weeping you crying I know shocking <laughs> right um I uh we had a dog named Ginger that was my first word actually Ginger not mom no not dad <laughs> I said I said Ginger a two syllable first yes. word well done sir Yeah thank you very much I was advanced um I think I was 3 years old um no I <laughs> <scared>. <laughs> Uh, but, but I, I was like, mom, what is going to happen to Ginger when she dies? Like, I need to know. And my mom, uh, we got into a conversation about heaven and, uh, my mom said, you, you know, that heaven is like this, the ultimate state of happiness, right? Like you're, you're going to be complete and whole and happy when you get to heaven and you're with God. Um, and I was like, well, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what t- they teach me. Um, and she said, do you need Ginger in your life to be happy? And I just was like, yes, of course I do. I mm. need her to be happy. And my mom was like, well, then Ginger's going to be there. Oh, wow. I know. I feel like that's pretty progressive. I thought that was a really awesome <laughs> answer. Like, I, I reflected on that as an adult. And I was like, that was that was cool. That was not at all like a lot of my upbringing. So <laughs> it was really cool to have some a moment like you that. You had a win. Yeah. Got a win. Check. Um, Sorry, I interrupted No, you.
1: no, you're totally fine. Assemblies of God. Yeah, Assemblies of God. So had that experience for a few years while we were in Texas. And then we moved to New Mexico and that's where we were, uh, really settled in the Church of the Nazarene. Mm-hmm. And so we were there in that church from, you know, about fourth grade until I went to college. And actually, as we said, I went to Point Loma Nazarene University out here in
0: San Diego. and so Which I learned is now the sea lions, but it's, <laughs> so, but it's not no, the animal, the no. sea lion. So
1: here's the thing <laughs> about that. The sea lion is, and I, I forget the fluffy language they wrote for it. Um, as a communications, I was a communications major. It was just like instantaneous eye roll when I learned the myth they created for the sea lion. So like you're a Christian a school story. and you're, you're, you're a Christian university. You're making up an animal and then writing some mythological, like there's a lot to that. Where it's like, I don't understand how this fits with what you believe about the world. Um, I just remember part of that description talking about a lion coming from the sea and shaking its mane as the water glistens in the sunlight. I mean, it was, it was some rich language. Oh boy. Um, yeah. So, but the funny thing is I was actually on student government at Point Loma when we switched. And so I had to sort of toe the line and rally (laughs) support around this (laughs) mythical creature that we made up as a mascot, um, My understanding was we had an alumni who owned like a graphic design company and she completely came up with the whole concept and idea. So the university just ran with it. To the university's credit though, (laughs) we became sea lions because we felt like crusaders was no longer appropriate.
0: And that was exactly what Leanne said. And and I I agree. And
1: as a good Christian boy at the time, I was a little upset that we were disowning our Christian heritage.
0: Mm. Um,
1: There was a part of me, it was kind of interesting, um, that part of my faith journey There was a real sense of owning our Christian faith and the history that comes with that. So while I really understood the decision to change the mascot and the inappropriateness of a mascot like that, there was something about it for me that also hearkened to the truth of our history as Christianity. Um, Because there's something I think that happens when you forget your history where you lose sight of the bad things you've done as part yeah. of your history, yeah. um, that can actually help perpetuate some of that that treatment of your fellow humanity, your fellow humans. and so um, it was a weird thing for me being on student government because I hated the new mascot. <laughs> There's a part of me that was like, well, being crusaders actually calls out a pretty dark part of our history that we
0: need yeah. to remember. Yeah. Um, so it was. Yeah, it was it's, a weird. It's time. a little microcosm of of what's happening on a on a national level right now with you know Confederate statues being torn down and just this discussion that we are having about who are we, who is America? Like, right. This is part of our history, part of our story. We've and, done these things.
1: Yeah, and those are hard conversations to have because mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of things in life, there's a line and there's a fine line between acknowledging a dark part of our history. Um, but then acknowledging it is one thing, but then how do you move past that and move Mm -hmm. beyond that? And how do you recraft and take ownership for a new story? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that I I think in the long run, like the mascot changing, um, (laughs) it was actually a really good thing in that it, it sort of took power away from that crusader history of who we are as Christianity. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good thing that we move away from that history. But like I said, where I was in my faith journey at that
0: time, <laughs> I was a little, I was a little upset That's and not just because a
1: sea lion is a dumbass yeah. mascot to have. So
0: you were a line tower, but you were also like conflicted about your own heritage and your oh, own, you, absolutely. You, your own convictions at that time. Yep.
1: Absolutely. And I think that sort of paralleling that um, was my own faith journey in figuring out who I was as a child of God. Um, so I'm a gay male, um, happily right. married. Yeah. Hey, hey, Congratulations
0: hey. on finally coming out. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Um, this is, this is, this is actually my official coming out on this podcast. <laughs> even um, though, even <laughs> though,
0: as you just said, you're married right. to a man <laughs> <laughs> for,
1: was it four years? Well, it be four years yeah. this year. Um, gosh, time flies. Um, so while I was at Point Loma, I love Point Loma and I, I always tell people that, you do. Do they have bad theology? I would say yes. Mm. And you know me; I don't typically call things bad. No. My my people pleaser collaborator bring people together in nature would be. Oh well, they make decisions that are according to their <laughs> denominational policy, so you can't fault them for that. Um, and I guess in some ways you can't, <laughs> but <laughs> at the end of the day. I really look at it and I say, it's bad theology. Yeah. Um, it's bad theology in terms of what it prioritizes and how it views humanity. Um, you know, having grown up in the Nazarene church, I didn't really fully understand how socially conservative they were, mm. um, as a denomination. And then what that means for an academic environment where you go to college to be challenged, yeah. uh, mentally, academically, um, and I, got, I did get that from Point Loma, and that's why I will always say that I love Point Loma. Did yeah. I have a bad experience as a closeted gay male? Absolutely. Um, but did Point Loma give me a spiritual foundation and roots to build and grow on? Absolutely. And so that's the part, you know, it's almost kind of ironic that because I chose to go to a Christian university, I also learned to love myself. And I learned to challenge and push my faith and my beliefs in a way that I probably would have never gotten had
0: I just gone to a public institution somewhere. Mm. Do you think in that setting you would have been more... You, you would have continued to toe the line more because you would have felt like... I, I mean, I imagine at Point when you felt like part of the community. Like, at a, at a, at a you know, quote-unquote secular university as a Christian, like, would you have walked in and been like... I'm 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 in not of this world, right? Like I'm oh, not, for sure. Yeah, I'm not part of these people, so right. I have to maintain. Yeah, can't lose my faith.
1: I would have been a crusader <laughs> if I was <laughs> at a public yeah. university somewhere, right? Um, and so being in that community at Point Loma, and honestly, like I think every person of faith, everyone who come, whatever their faith um, background is, if they're Buddhist or if they're Christian, if they're Muslim, learn about your history. And I will I will say that that was the biggest value I had going to a Christian university is I had to take New Testament and Old Testament history classes. Love. I had to take um, what do we call the, the <laughs> I just, just laugh thinking of the name um, Life of Holiness, <laughs> so we could learn how to be holy. <laughs> how many how <laughs> many
0: college credit like how many credits? Did I you think get? that was three credits. Was three credits. It's a big one. Life a, it, it
1: was a required course uh, as a GE. Do you I remember General your, your ed. final grade? Um, I think I probably got a B or C Uh, cause I, I intentionally (laughs) took all of my, (laughs) you intentionally
0: weren't holy. (laughs) I intentionally wasn't holy.
1: (laughs) Um, no, I intentionally took all of my religion classes at once because I wanted to get them out of the way. The drawback to that was I had a way overloaded semester. Mm. Um, and that actually caused me to lose my scholarship to Point Loma. Oh my God. Um, No, I, yeah. So it's kind of random. Um,
0: you're not, sorry you're not I was just trying not. to
1: be super religious and it lost me my funding so you're not holy I learned enough for from us that to experience keep paying for you to go here <laughs> not holy enough um, so so yeah it was the beauty of that is I had to learn Christian history but part of that was also learning what we've done as a faith as a denomination over the course of our history the bad stuff mm-hmm. like our crusades um, but then also the tools we use today and how limited they can be through the nature of translation and, you know, not even that, but just sort of the cultural sensitivities of what life looked back, looked like a thousand, two thousand plus years ago mm-hmm. versus what life is today yeah. and sort of how those things relate or don't relate. Um, so I think, having gone to a Christian university actually really challenged me and pushed me to look at my faith and understand what I believe as a gay male. Um, for me, my coming out experience at Point Loma, it was fully immersed in scripture, reading every verse I could to really understand number one, what the Bible said about being gay. Mm -hmm. Um, but then what the Bible said about being a Christian. So my personal coming out experience was, um, Really wrestling and trying to get validation that being gay was wrong. I mean, that's, that's what that were, that was my starting. That's point. what you're looking for. That was my my starting point. Yeah. Is you know, I I just need to. My heart says one thing. My head's my head and sort of spiritual upbringing are saying something else. Yeah. So I need to understand that. I need to really dig into scripture and understand it. So I had a really desperate, sort of lonely. I'd say probably like year and a half while I was going to the university. I wasn't really connected to a lot of my hallmates and friends because I would go off and just really dig into scripture. Hmm. Um, and that's actually the first time I ever fasted, which is, I think, in Christian circles, is always this like creme de la creme, like, oh, Whoa, yeah. you're so holy. You're not eating French fries, which is a big deal for me, (laughs) especially carne asada fries. Um, So, you know, I was like at that point in my faith journey, like, and my husband Ted will tell you if I'm intentionally choosing not to eat, that's a big deal. Mm. And so, um, the first time ever fasting, and it was in one of my moments of prayer, sort of through that season, that I just heard a peaceful voice during prayer time, meditation, whatever you want to call it that said, I love you. And mm. <laughs> even now, obviously, it, it still hits me mm. because I hear that voice and it's undeniable to me mm. as a Christian, as a person of faith. But it didn't make sense. Right. Because I'm gay. <laughs> like, yeah. Everything that I know and understand says those two don't work. Yeah. They don't go hand in hand. So I walked away from that moment and that that, you know, what do we call it in, in Christendom? Sort of that that clear and present voice of, well, God's saying he loves me. And for me at the time, God was a he. God's saying he's loved me, he loves me, but that's completely counter to everything I know about being a Christian. So the way I saw it, there were two things. Either that's a lie. Where I don't understand Christianity hmm. and so it took me on a faith journey where I really had to look at my faith and instead of Bible, <laughs> tell me how being gay is wrong yeah. and I won't be gay I'll figure it out and that was actually part of my prayer life um prior to sort of that that um, fasting season.
0: Did you try to doubt that voice like did you I, I mean, want it if, if those I, were your two options like the voice is a lie or I'm wrong like how far down that path of trying to figure out if that yeah. voice was something that you had made up or whatever like how, right. f- how far did you go with that
1: i didn't want to believe it huh. being completely honest i didn't want to because if i believed it then i had all of christianity wrong yeah i mean that's just the reality of it for me yeah. so i didn't want to believe it but at the same time you know i don't i don't know the greek and the language behind it but we always talk about trust your gut feeling And then when you look into some of the original Greek and you talk about faith and spirit, there's actually a lot of language in there that is synonymous with our guts and our intestines. Mm. So there's something really beautiful about um, what I believe God gave us as a gut feeling that is intended to help us know right and wrong and help us know those things. And that's all I really had to believe that I love you was real.
0: Yeah.
1: I look back on that and say, "How terrible of a faith structure I had! That believing I love you was so impossible." I mean, it's it's heartbreaking.
0: That is absolutely. Heartbreaking. And I look
1: at friends and family who are still in that sort of um, mindset of Christianity, and I actually I'm not mad or upset or angry at them and what their belief system is. My heart actually breaks for them. Mm. Because I've been able, from that moment of understanding what it means to be loved, I've been fortunate and blessed and just had this incredible faith in life journey that's completely one-aided my Christianity in a way where I'm good. I mean, when you read the creation story, that's what God tells us is we're good. But somewhere over the last 2,000 years, we've lost that. Mm -hmm. We've forgotten that. And the, the problem with it is is it hurts us and damages us damages us in a way that we can't even hear God say I love you and believe it.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about. To 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 feel greater resistance against love. Which <laughs> is the story of evangelical Christianity in America right now, today. That is what that is what we are looking at. It's a resistance to inclusiveness, to love. And it is, and it comes from this, well, I don't know. I don't know where the hell it comes from, uh, yeah. but I, but I know what it's like because I was there too. And honestly, I don't even know if I can pinpoint a moment when I feel like spirit said to me, I love you or, or that I feel love right. from spirit. I, I find it. I, f- I certainly have found it in, in my, my human relationships. And to me, the divine is, is, uh, synonymous with the human. And, and, um, I don't, I haven't been able to make that distinction for a long time because I find more of it, you know, in this, in talking to you right now across the table than I do in prayer or yeah. fasting, which I did, I did too for <laughs> a good old chunk of time. Um, when I was, I was trying to figure out my sexuality, that was a big piece of it. Um, but yeah, like, I, uh, the resistance to love is astonishing and, and, and it's not something that you can wake somebody up from just through, yeah. you know, <laughs> replying to them on Twitter or whatever. You know, like right. it's not, I, I don't even know how to wake somebody up from that. Yeah. Because for me it was.
1: Well, and I think that's a challenge, right, with a lot of it. And, and that's what's so unfortunate is you talk to people who've had life experiences lived as the other. Yeah. And they get it. Yep. They understand. I mean, they, they may not have accepted that love and that acceptance yet because that's where, not where they are in their journey. Mm. But they understand how powerful it is. Yeah. You are other and less than, and I love you. Mm. Um, so that was, that was the big challenge for me then at that point, because like I said, I had that gut feeling that it was a voice of God. Because quite honestly, that's the only time I've ever heard so definitive, I love
0: you. When you say heard... Yeah. <laughs> what? No, no, I want to know what you know because, so, <sighs> because I have those stories too. And, and yeah, you just like, you feel it in the gut thing. You're talking about the gut still, feeling,
1: the, the, it's the gut feeling, but it's like, it's between your guts and your heart somewhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> like right there in your chest. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how else to describe it other than that. Um, but, it, but it is this undeniable, you just know, hmm you just know as much as you don't want to believe and as much as you don't want to think and you don't want the rational part of you <laughs> to yep. go along with it um so that's what it, that really is what it was for me is you know I was shook <laughs> Right? <laughs> i am shook i am shook uh,
0: um, i, I yes yeah. yeah. so i have the same i have two uh two experiences where i felt like voice and and one of them was what your Uh, Talking about right now, the feeling in your gut and just the, the assurance and the affirmation of, and it wasn't so much for me, it wasn't, it wasn't, you were loved, it's I'm holding you. Like that was what I remember being told in college, uh, on my top bunk in my dorm room, (laughs) uh, reading Jeremiah. Um, uh, something about a lamb and I'd have to go dig up the verse to know exactly <laughs> what it was, but it, he, he pulls the, he, something about, he pulls, the, <laughs> sorry,
1: I'm just trying to figure out why you'd be reading verses about a lamb. Because he talked
0: about <laughs> holding the lamb close to his chest and yeah, God was male for me too. At that point. Sounds really hot, right?
1: <laughs> Bear chest. What, what kind of, what kind of gay is
0: a lamb? <laughs> We've got otters and bears, what is a lamb anyway um <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not go down that road i'll um, start
1: thinking about what a gay lamb yeah,
0: looks like yeah. there's other podcasts <laughs> for that discussion um <laughs> uh but yeah and so that gut feeling in my soul in my chest i felt it there was another time when heard for me means with my ears interesting like heard voice like the audible, the still small voice kind of thing. Yep. 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 Samuel and Eli. I talked about this actually on the last episode, just very briefly with jazz. But, um, uh, and, and I said, I think I said on that episode that I don't like to talk about this story very much because it, (laughs) it makes me sound crazy, but here I am talking about it again. But, um, I, I, I heard like a physical voice and it freaks me out to this day because I was alone on a, on a, on a road trip in Northern California, driving back from Portland, I think, and uh pulled over on the side of the road because i just had started weeping i was happy like it was a great trip i was having a good time it was my first time visiting again
1: you crying i know
0: <laughs> <Shocker>. <laughs> I, I had seen the pacific ocean for the first time like it was it was a big trip for me it was it was the first time i ever you know decided one day i want to live in the pacific northwest which i still want to do still in san diego right now We're looking but forward to having you up there thank you one day um but yeah, I pulled over because I couldn't see. I was, I was weeping, and I had no idea why. So at the time, I was still a praying person. I started praying about it. I'm like, what's going on? Um, why, why is this happening, God? Uh, what happened was I did hear a voice say, get out of the car. Like, get out. And I was like, mm, excuse me? What? Was it a murdery voice? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. I was not afraid of it. That, yeah, I wasn't scared. It, it, but but it was freaky in that like I shouldn't be hearing voices right now. Like, what's going on with my brain? Um, and I still asked this question, what was going on with my brain at that time? Um so I got out of the car, um, stood around for a minute, I was like, okay, I did that. Uh what now? And it took a little coaxing, but the voice finally said. Uh, there, there was a creek. I could hear the babbling creek. Sorry, <laughs> the
1: way you're pointing right now just reminds me of your gal Kristen Wiig and Will
0: Ferrell <laughs> hosting. Was it the Golden Globes? You, you get, get out. Yeah. The voice Sorry. said to me <laughs> in the in the voice of Kristen Wiig. <laughs> you get out. Um, no, but it, they wanted you to go into the woods. Yeah, yeah they said, were waiting go for to you. the water. Go to the water. Like there was a creek. I could hear it. Go to the water. I'm like, okay, I'm going to this water. I go to the water. I stand there for a minute. Don't know what's going on. Finally, the voice says, get in the water. I'm like, come on. It's, it's spring. It's like early spring, uh, President's Day weekend or something. So like there's snow melt.
1: Did George Clooney happen to be there with a few sirens?
0: <laughs> no, he didn't. Okay. Not. <laughs> he did not. Um, oh, that would have been great though. Allison little Allison <laughs> Emily Lou Harris, actually I think was the siren voice in that movie I don't know it's beautiful though it is gorgeous um, so i'm at this point i'm like i'm I'm, I'm going all in on this thing i 'm following I'm, I'm following this trail because i don't there's something happening here, so I take off my shoes and socks and I get in this water, and I stand in it for as long as I can, but it 's ice cold and it 's so painful and i 'm already crying and i'm crying even more now because now i 'm like physically in pain too, so I fall like I just throw myself out of the creek, land on the side of the bank. And I'm in the fetal position, barefoot, wet, crying, middle of Northern California woods. What the fuck? (laughs) And, um, and I just do that for a minute. I'm just kind of rocking. Uh, and I calm down. Finally, my, my pulse slows and from the hypothermia from the hypothermia (laughs) (laughs) and the voice, uh, finally comes back one last time and it says, I was washing your feet. Yeah. So at that point, and then then the story just goes down this whole other path you know, I go and I read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and what that meant for them and what he was calling them to. And I just felt very, like it was my calling. Like that moment was my calling to like go wash the feet of people, right? Like to be that person who serves in, you know, there were a thousand ways at the time that I felt like I was being called to, but it was such a real, like freaky, real thing And I still don't know what to do with, do with it. That was, oh my gosh, that was 13, 14 years ago. And here I am Mm. like still talking about this stuff on a podcast because I don't know what to do with it. Right. Um, I, I don't know how to fully like be a heathen or be an apostate or just walk away from my faith because I have these weird freaky moments that I don't have an explanation for that other than something, something was there calling me. My takeaway is your God makes you do a lot more stuff than mine
1: does. (laughs) 'Cause I was just on the uh, top bunk hearing I love you. So lucky you, you, <laughs> I didn't you have you, to get an ice cold water. You're just closer. But, you're just but closer see but to that's, the heart of God. For me, that's the power of faith, right? And the spiritual connection. Because during my AG years, assemblies of God years, I went to an AG camp mm-hmm. as eight years old. I spoke in tongues. And for me, it's very much that same experience where the rational person in me and the I went to grad school in a communications program, so sort of in the sociology realm of things. The sociologist in me looks at that and says, well, duh, like you were at a camp with people that had a culture and expectation. There was merit around the speaking in tongues thing. So of course you would make yourself do that to fit in and be one of the top kids at camp or whatever the psychological component is. So I own that from a very rational standpoint, but there's that part of me that still looks at that experience and says, but what if, hmm. but what if, and what if, then what do I do with it? And I, I, I don't know what to do with it. I think kind of along your line, I mean, I was eight years old, so that's yeah. a little more than 10 years for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of, you have those experiences and those moments that are just bigger than you, and, and what do you do with it? Um, so when I think of my faith journey and sort of hearing that voice, that God voice, I love you, you know, like I said, so then my, either you're lying (laughs) and everything I know about Christianity is wrong Mm. or everything I know about Christianity is wrong. Yeah. And so for me, the reality of it was a a faith journey that said, okay, as a Christian, my source text is the Bible. Mm. So that's what I got to work with. Yeah. You've got the spiritual components, you have the feelings, you have the gut stuff, but you've got a source text. Yeah. And so that's what you
0: work from. Did you pull up any Apocrypha or anything like that? Try no, to broaden yourself a little that bit? wasn't that. Stick, I to the, stick
1: to the 66. No, we're sticking to the Jesus stuff, the okay. red letters. Got red letters. Ooh. Red letters, yeah. Well, because, I mean, and that's quite honestly, that's part of that Christian college experience, right? If we are Christians, by definition, a Christian is a follower of Christ, mm. In some ways, that doesn't say everything before the Gospels is moot.
0: Yeah.
1: But in a lot of ways, it kind of does. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that that's Jewish tradition. Yeah. If we're going to be
0: honest about it, that's Jewish faith tradition. Which Jesus was part of.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so, we forget that, and we yeah. don't want to acknowledge that as Christians. And yeah, but we can't. We can't discount that. That was his entire culture. It was his entire world. Yeah,
1: and that informed who he was as sort yeah. of this fierce, loving, radical within that culture. And quite honestly, the short of it was when I looked at what Christ said, even in communication with God, what it really boiled down to was love yourself with all your heart, mind, and soul and your neighbor as yourself. The Mm. truth of it for me is I was really good at loving other people or I thought I was. I was good at loving God because yeah. my Christianity had very set rules and guidelines and goals you could hit to love God and show your love for God. I wasn't good at loving myself. I mean, that that, that that's the truth of mm-hmm. it. And a big part of my inability to love myself was this part of me and who, quite honestly, God created me to be that just didn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so for me, and you know, I tell people like being gay was a catalyst for me to look at my faith and really analyze it and understanding it. Fill in the blank. A raped woman who has to carry a child that she never wanted. Mm-hmm. A black man who gets targeted just because of the color of their skin. I mean, the list goes on and on of the other, the less than, of the least of these. Yeah. And anyone who's had that experience can look at the message of Christ and say, "I actually belong and I matter." Yeah. And that's the true beauty of it. And what that does when people can love themselves outside of our social systems, outside of our theological constructs, is the most powerful thing. And you look at the life of Christ, and that's absolutely what he would have wanted. Mm. Um, so for me, you know, I I, <laughs> I call being gay my big blessing. <laughs> because it, it, a big gay blessing, <laughs> my big gay blessing. Um, because quite honestly, it took my faith in a very radical direction that it would have never have gone if I didn't believe
0: the voice that said, I love you. Hmm. When I hear, you know, somebody like you, when I hear you talk about that, <laughs> somebody like you, no, actually, you yeah. right, I'm here, right here, physically, I'm in in front literally of right here. Stop front of talking you. about me like I'm not here. <laughs> Um, When I hear you talk about it that way, I'm like, ah, I miss... But here's the thing about it. I miss some of that, you know? But the thing about it is,
1: God is so much bigger, or spirit is so much bigger Mm -hmm. than anything we construct or dissect or try to define. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite quotes about faith um, is from the movie Life of Pi. Mm -hmm. Um, He's praying to Ganesh and says, Ganesh, thank you for introducing me to Jesus. It's a long time. I'm probably paraphrasing. Yeah, I don't
0: remember. But to
1: me, there—that's what I loved about that movie. Was it gave respect to individual faith traditions, but it also acknowledged that God, Spirit, Father, Mother, creation. I mean, that's how I look at it. It's creation. Supersedes, connects,
0: and I see it as connecting. Yeah. Um, so what if, what have you done with um okay like that is beautiful shit right like <laughs> I love that I do what I can <laughs> um but we are also we are spirit and then we are flesh and bone and yep. the flesh and bone we are walking around here and there are organizations and there are you know traditions and what you just said religious constructs that we enter into and out of and 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 that's the stuff that's a lot of what I react to obviously that's uh, um that is the reason why I'm not a Christian and 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 refuse to be. So what is like, how did that, what, where did your journey take you with that stuff? Like, um, because I I mean, I know parts of this, obviously I'm asking you like for the benefit of everybody who's listening, but so
1: here's, here's a reality of it is as simple as it is to boil down a Christian faith, to love God with all your heart, mind and soul and your neighbor as yourself. Okay, great. So now let's talk about love (laughs) and what does love look like and the, the more I talk about it is not, not necessarily what does love look like. What does love do? Because love is an action. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, my, in a part of my coming out history for my parents, love looked like, and I will always love and appreciate my dad for this when I came out, the first thing he said is, Joshua, you know, we'll always love you. And kudos to him for a million infinities <laughs> for saying that. Of course, that was quickly followed by "but we're not okay with this." <laughs> um, but he said, "I love you" as yeah. his first uh, words and his first affirmation, which couldn't have been any more perfect. And
0: I, yeah, just for
1: the <laughs> record, I love your parents. My parents are incredible; they are the best, and they're on their own faith journey, right? Yeah. And so they, they still have their uh, you know a little more conservative leaning theological perspectives. Ted and I come home for the holidays. You know, we just FaceTimed with my grandma yesterday and she was asking about Teodoro,
0: um,
1: <laughs> which was adorable. Um, but, you know, like, so I think of those things like, is what does love do? Mm. So when my dad's first words for me coming out were, I, I love you, mm-hmm. that's a doing, that's an action. That's yeah. what love should have done and mm-hmm. that's what he did and that's beautiful. Um, I think oftentimes just what happens with us in this faith journey we rely so much on our structures and constructs to tell us what love is what love should or shouldn't do yeah and for me where i'm at right now in my faith journey is the reality of it is i was raised in the christian church how i know and understand and relate to my faith and spirituality is very much tied to christianity now, what I understand of Christianity looks very different than a lot of our mainland uh, mainline evangelical Christians, but it's still Christianity in my mind, yeah. the story of Christ and really the story of Christ, not the story of the Hebrews or Yahweh God, like that's part of it, and it's part of the history, but it's really about the story of Christ mm-hmm. and what he did and what he you know pushed for and the this completely 180 way of thinking of people less than and the other. Um, so when I look at my faith now, I have to be connected to my Christianity still because that's a part of who I am, but I also see it in a very radically different way where I like to think I'm more sort of universal, universalist, open-minded than I am. I look at Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and the connections and, um, the ways it enhances our faith. You know, we talk about it as prayer, that's the same thing as meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's different dynamics or ways we go about the process, mm-hmm. but it's still the quieting and stilling of your mind and your thoughts to really feel connected to our spiritual world. And so I look at things like that and say, that's beautiful and that's powerful and that's meaningful. Um, so I want to be <laughs> more universalist than I think I am. Mm. Um, because at the end of the day, I still, I still
0: need that connection to Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean with that. I it, there's so many reasons that I still feel compelled and connected uh to the faith of my youth um even though it's not a faith I can claim. I so one of the the like aha moments for me this year was um I went to I, I, uh, through, through my church, I attended this, uh, group that was like an LGBTQ, um, IAP, uh, if going to get all the letters and <laughs> double there. IPA, uh, a queer, uh, coming together of, of, of people of faith and, um, a talking basically about like the damage done to us by our churches. Right. Um, and one of the questions, uh, that came up was what is your, um, like what, what's your process for reconciling your faith and your sexuality? Like, do you have one? And I was the first person to raise my hand. Um, which is not also not surprising. Uh, cause sometimes if I, if I got something to say, I want to say it. And my thing to say in that moment was, um, I don't need to, I don't need to reconcile my faith and my Christianity because I'm, first of all, I'm not a Christian. Like, hello, like how, <laughs> how can any of you be Christians? Like, don't you see what Christianity like expects of you and says about you and all these things? Um, and, and I was just super like proud of like making that stand. And then like, there was this like really crazy, beautiful moment that was also like really shaming to me <laughs> as everybody else went around the room and was like, and talked about their, their yeah. very personal journeys and their very, and, and, and almost everybody had some form of, um, look, I'm still here because I'm not abdicating my place in this thing to somebody who's going to speak ill of me. Mm. I am still a part of this faith because it matters to me that, that someone else doesn't get to tell people like me that they're not welcome here. Like I'm going to be in it so that I can welcome other people who want to be here into it. And I was like, Oh shit. Like right. that is super. I mean, I hate the word convicting because it's such a, <laughs> it's a church. Word. Yeah. But I, I felt convicted. I felt like, Oh my God. Like I am, I'm a person who, I I don't, I don't give a shit what anybody says about if, if I don't know you or love you deeply and intimately, like, I don't care what you think about me. So I'm going to like, tell you the truth. Um, and that is like a huge curse in like 98% (laughs) of human interactions. Uh, but it also is like a huge, uh, there's some value to be like, like being the kind of person who can like stake your ground and say like, this is people
1: like me that let people steamroll us really appreciate people (laughs) like you. So thank you. As
0: long as we're people who do that, right. Who, who, I I don't want to be the steamroller. I want to be the person who's in the thing saying, Oh hell no. Like you're not going to, you're not going to tell these, these beautiful children of spirit of God, whatever you want to say, like that they're not welcome here. Like, and I'm going to be the voice in the, in your midst, like not letting you, like preventing you from doing that, um, and that w- for me that was a huge moment this year. That um, it was, it's one of the reasons that I still stick around, that I yeah. still go to church, that I still am in the the world of Christendom without calling myso- myself a Christian. We
1: well, you know it's interesting. You brought up this word reconciliation. Um, so a while back, when I first moved back to San Diego, I actually um, facilitated guess that's the right word, a LGBT Christian that was before additional letters were added to LGBT. <laughs> um, and that was actually back then it was GLBT. so oh yeah it was a while back. I, I keep forgetting we did a little letter swap there. You sure did. Um, but I, I facilitated this coming out support group for people of Christian faith who are wrestling with, with sexuality. And I remember the tagline was faith sexuality reconciliation. And reconciliation is such an interesting word because in my mind, especially at that time, there was very much this sense that reconciliation was sort of making peace with who you are and what you believe as a Christian. And I don't think that's a bad thing in and of itself, but in some ways it does kind of fuel this sense that you have to like rationalize or justify or be able to explain why you as human, as creation, as child of God are okay. Mm. Um, And I look back on that now and I think it was completely valuable and completely needed for the people who are part of that group. Um, But I look back on it and I wish then I understood and could have better articulated to people who came to that group for help and support, coming to terms with who they were as children of God, to understand like, you don't have to justify anything. Yeah. You don't have to prove or you don't have to know all the in-depth theology to say you're okay. Yep. Because the truth of it is you are loved just because you are.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, looking back on that, I wish I would have known that and understood that at that time because it would have completely changed the conversation. Mm. Um, but I think even as it was, it was still helpful for people who were there well, we know but it was because you, you because still have... Because there, there was one marriage and they have two kids now. <laughs> there was another marriage partnering that happened that uh, I actually wasn't a part of that group, but kind of like an offshoot, so... You
0: can take the credit.
1: Actually, there was another marriage. It was all the lesbians. All the lesbians were getting married.
0: Go girls. Hey, hey, hey. Um, Listen, we are at... I think we've been recording for like 50 minutes, so I don't want to, um, you know we need to have a part two obviously and probably a three and four over the years. We can woop just woop. we can do this over and over again. But, um, let's, uh, let's, let's just wrap up maybe with like a quick, cause, cause you and I were part of this while you still lived in San Diego, you part of the same church down here. And, um, um, like what, where, where are you at right now? Like what, where do you see yourself going and moving forward to with, with your personal journey of faith? Like what does it all mean to you? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, that's it, folks. <laughs> right? Yeah, for shows jo- over. Thanks for joining us here on Heathen Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I don't know because you know where we are now in Oregon. Beautiful place, love it. Re- Oregon has like the nicest people in the world. Central Oregon, sure does. The challenge with it is, it, it has its own history. Um, its own history of exclusion and honestly mm. flat-out racism. It yeah. was the only state in the union that was admitted with yeah. anti-black laws yeah. that said, if you were black, you can't live here. Um, well, so and it's
0: the state that still, I mean, what would the... Uh, I, I'm-
1: we recently had an assault on, on Portland public transit yeah. that ended in the death of um, two wonderful, amazing humans mm. who stepped up to defend a Muslim woman mm. and, and her sister, um, so it, it's, we want to think of Portland and Oregon as this really great progressive place. And I think in a lot of ways it's kind of making up and fast forwarding for a really sordid history. Yeah. But the truth is I'm a Hispanic male living in central Oregon where 90% of our population is white folks. Yeah. Um, and then you'd look at the LGBT population and it's a smaller sliver, um, so it's an interesting place to be. You Here's know, my that. my husband and I have done the church hunt. We found two amazing congregations that are LGBT, um, QIA+ plus, <laughs> um accepting and affirming. Um so really great congregations, but they don't look like us. Yeah. I mean, well, they look more like my husband. He's a white, <laughs> blue-eyed, blonde-haired, Germanish guy, <laughs> German ancestry. Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. of what God wanted for humanity. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> That's what his muscles say. Anyways, <laughs> he's really hot. For those of you who don't know <laughs> Ted, he's crazy sexy. Joshua. And it, sorry, you're I'm just, digressing. We're <laughs> talking no, about faith. No, I'm telling you, you are sexy too, okay? White well, people aren't the, only, <laughs> aren't the only sexy well, people. Well, growing up as a person of color, <laughs> my understanding is only white people are sexy. Um, Anyway... The digression there was to talk about, well, what now with faith, right? Yeah. Um, so the challenge is you have these incredible denominations who on a national, international level are taking a stand and saying, LGBTQIA plus folks, you belong in our congregations mm-hmm. because you are humanity. Um, so we found this really great Lutheran church. The challenge is, like a lot of these mainline traditional Uh, denominations is they skew older yeah they skew older because in some ways christianity as a construct as an organization is kind of fading Mm -hmm. and these structured denominations don't have the same connection and pool to today's younger generation that they had for our parents and our grandparents um so it's just hard it's hard when the majority of your community looks so different than you yeah sure and as matthew as you shared like we, we were a part of this great community here in San Diego, Surgeon Grace, that had such diversity, not just sexual orientation or ethnicity, but also age. Yeah. And so you really got to see little kids and babies and infants, but then also an older crowd, retirees mm-hmm. plus. Yeah. Um, and so that diversity in a congregation is really meaningful and important to us. And we haven't found that yet. And so that's a challenge because we still connect with our faith and our faith through Christianity. And we just haven't quite found that community yet. So we're hopeful. I mean, there's sort of things on the horizon, sort of people doing the work of church plants and all these great, wonderful things. Mm. Um, So we're hopeful that we'll be able to get connected to a community that's more like the one we had in San Diego. Mm -hmm. But we just don't have that now. So now our church... At least when the weather's nice, <laughs> is go out on a hike and go be in creation, feel God and feel the Spirit in a way that's meaningful to us and that makes sense. Um, and to be honest, like other than singing at church, I don't know that we're missing out a whole lot. It's the music, right? We're missing out on the music yeah. and the people, like the community, yeah, right? Yeah, so of I mean, especially here, this this church community we had in San Diego, like these are the people. And I hate this term that we do life with. (laughs) Um, But they were, they were the people we'd go eat out with, go hang out with, go to the beach with. And that's so valuable because you want that, you want that level of connection. And again, another stupid Christian Eve's word, but accountability like you, Mm. you hold each other accountable to that love tenant of the faith.
0: Yeah.
1: And it, in a very good, beautiful way, it, it keeps you in check.
0: Yeah. Um, so I want that. Yeah. You just don't
1: have it right I now. I know.
0: I know. That, and that's, like, that is, like, reason number one of uh, for Heathen. Like, that's why this podcast has to exist for me, because I need that, too. Like, I need to connect to the people who, um, even as as awesome as Sojourn Grace is, and I do love it. I, I love being there. Yeah. Shout out. Um, uh, it can be difficult sometimes to walk in and say, like hey, like, fellow people, like, you all probably identify as some sort of progressive Christian, and I just, like, I'll take the progressive label, sure, but, you know, I just, I'm not the other thing, and so that is why Heathen kind of matters to me, like, to be able to just build some of that community, so I know it's, like, a long-distance thing, (laughs) but, like, (laughs) You're always, always, always part of my community. Like, and thank I'm, you. I'm so glad that you like sat down to do this with me. Thank of course, you.
1: and I have to tell you, I've admired and appreciated what you've done at Sojourn because you've you've looked at your faith and your spirituality, and you've said, "Here's how I can participate, and here's how I can contribute." The other stuff may not work for me, and it may not mesh. Titles, labels, whatever. Mm-hmm. But in a community of love, the kind of community I think God and Christ intended for all of humanity, regardless of where you were born and Mm -hmm. what faith tradition you were raised in, I've, and I don't think I've ever told you, so I'm telling you now, um, I've actually, you need to know how much I've appreciated and admired that about you, Mm -hmm. is you say, here's what faith is to me, and here's how it works in spirituality. And here's how I'm going to contribute. Hmm. And if more people did that in this world, this world would be, would be an amazing, incredible place. Um, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who sat in that church thank you. and was blessed quite on, blessed is another one of those hashtag stupid, blessed. right? Ugh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I we'll just, edit that out, right? No, no, that's standing because
0: I hashtag blessed you, but, brother.
1: <laughs> when you sang for our wedding, there was a spiritual part of that. Mm. that had such power and conviction and undeniability that is the beauty of that gift that you've been given. Mm. As in, you. And I don't know if you would say it in those terms, but that's how I look at it. And you keep giving that gift and don't ever stop giving that mm. gift because that's what touches people's hearts and souls. Um, and for me, having seen you do that in your music and your work and your creative aspirations, that's God. Mm. <laughs> And I think we forget that. I think we miss that sometimes because we don't realize that creator wants us to create. Mm. And you, Matthew Blake, <laughs> you do that beautifully and don't ever stop.
0: Oh, Joshua. Joshua, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, this has just been a love fest. I'm crying right
1: now. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> A part of me is kind of wanting to get Matthew to cry but he's holding out. I'm so. trying I'm
0: trying to keep it together. I'm feel, <laughs> I feel a a a pressure and a responsibility as the quote unquote host of heathen to keep this thing on track but thank you. And you know what? Um you know, props to Sojourn Grace too because there's no other community I I I know of that I could be a part of because I literally can walk in there and say, "Hey, like I don't there's an, I don't I can't check off these boxes you guys. I want to be a part of a community. I can't check off the boxes. Will you still have me? And they do, they do every, uh, you know, open arms every week. Like, so I, I can only do that in so much as there is a community that lets me do that. So that's also what we need more of in the world. Right. Absolutely. So. <sighs> Thank you. You're welcome.
1: I love you. I love you back.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heathen. I'll be back next week with a new guest. In the meantime, take a minute to go follow Heathen on Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. The handle is at Heathen Podcast. And you can also visit the website at HeathenPodcast.com to learn more about this project. Send your comments or questions, and maybe we'll talk about them on an upcoming episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, I would love appreciate your five-star review on itunes it makes a huge difference for a new podcast i'm matthew blake here's to the heathens